Your mic's not turned off. The soil of man's heart is stonier. A man grows what he can. Attends to it. Yeah. 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 That there rod used up a lot of animals all the years. A dark spot. Died of old age. Second time. First time Spot died, he got caught up in some of that barbed wire. Got infected, you see. I took him up to that there old Micmac burial ground. When he came back, he wasn't the same dog no more. My mother shouted, John, the dog stinks of the soil you buried him in. I don't think it was too on the nose. Hello and welcome to the Omcast Grand Rewatch. My name is Dom, as one half of the Omcast I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. Hello! So we now live in a world full of sequels, prequels, remakes and reboots. And we understand that sometimes life gets in the way and you're not always going to be able to catch up before a new one comes out. With that in mind, we're here to provide a weekly retrospective of some of the biggest franchises in cinema history, giving you a full spoiler rundown of each film in a series, including plot summaries, analysis and behind-the-scenes trivia. This week, we're talking about the original 1989 adaptation of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, starring Dale Midkiff and Denise Crosby. In a special bonus episode, we're also going to talk about the 1992 sequel, Pet Cemetery 2, starring Edward Furlong and Clancy Brown. I regret making you watch that film. I also regret you making me watch that film. I thought we were done. I thought we said, if we can be asked, we'll do two. We we were asked. You were asked. I was broken after the fucking first one. Because of... Uh, I've written a rundown for both. Okay, fine. I mean, yeah, alright, we'll, we'll talk about two in a bit. Let's get, let's get one out of the way. <laughs> so, just for a bit of context, I'm going to talk about... So, yesterday I had a very strange day when it comes to Pet cemetery content. Yeah. Um, because I've been reading or listening to the audiobook, the original book from Stephen King. And I finished it yesterday. I'm doing it for a couple of weeks now. It's not a particularly long book. I just finished it off on the drive over here. I really enjoyed it. I thought the book was great. Um, I've always been a fan of Stephen King. I've re- you know, read a few things. Um, but it was great. It was very you know well written and, and genuinely like scary and all the rest of it. And then I watched the film. Which was, the script was also written by Stephen King. And it kind of, I don't know, it's just bizarre. It broke my brain. It was just like, because I've been living with it, like, I'm so into all these characters. And, like, yeah. I know all about, you know, Lewis Creed and what goes on in his head. And I know yeah. about his wife. And I know about Judd Crandall. And I know all the mythology and everything. So I'm all over it. And then I watch the film, and it's just, like, the most basic, bare-bones retelling of what happens in the book. Like, yeah. surface level. The acting's good, though. Oh, no, the acting's fucking awful. <laughs> like it's it's really stilted and like stagey and like anyway right before we get onto it let's do you want to do the rundown <coughs> for Pet Cemetery yes I do go on then Pet Cemetery 1989 Dale Midriff <laughs> Fred Gwynn Denise Crosby some other people you've never heard of <laughs> star in Pet Cemetery 
Spelt with an S. I was going to make a joke about that, but thanks. Oh, fuck, sorry. No. Right. It's fine. They'll go back, go back. No, no, sandbag you. They'll go back. Sandbag. I'm sorry. <laughs> the film opens in a cemetery. I wonder what kind it could be. <laughs> there are ominous choral voices and hastily made grave markers. And whilst this is a laughable scene, it's not time for joking. A family containing two children and two adults arrive at a house which is absolutely and very obviously, quite clearly, very close to a very dangerous road. And any reasonable parent wouldn't in any way think that that would be a good idea to buy their house. Well, it turns out they did buy it and that's not foreshadowing in the slightest. Their young son almost walks into said danger road but is saved in miraculous time by their friendly neighbour, Herman Munster. <laughs> Sorry. Judd Crandall. Judd and family dad have a bond over beer and they do some family stuff. They take a lovely little walk to celebrate the deaths of many animals in which nobody appears to give a shit about nor worry that this may have an effect on the children, which it definitely won't. We swiftly move to a next scene where the eldest child is sat because her cat will eventually die. With some of the strongest and most well-written dialogue since Tarantino, or, well, fuck, even Shakespeare, <laughs> dad tells Ellie that he's going to get the cat spayed, and they continue to talk about the road being deadly and how the cat is probably just going to be totally fine. There is now an immediate close-up of an exposed brain through a young man's skull who is graphically bleeding. The man dies, but not before delivering a very ominous message. The doctor is obviously very, very shocked by this and responds with, How did you know my name? Yeah, the doctor is the dad. Yeah, Dr. Right. Dad. Dr. Dad. In the next scene, Dr. Dad is sleeping and awakens with a start, and the dead man from the previous scene draws him to first the basement and then back to the pet cemetery. He delivers another ominous message to not pass beyond the cemetery. Dad wakes up with muddy feet and through the miracle of drawings placed in a window, we learn that it's past Halloween now and is now Thanksgiving. The parents have a talk for reasons, then mum and the kids go on holiday to somewhere. Uh, the, by the way, the cat is now dead and I am sad. Old man Judd takes dad and the cat corpse beyond the pet cemetery, which is definitely fine, despite the warning of the dead guy who literally twice said not to do this very fucking thing. Judd, who is apparently part mountain goat, takes dad to another way creepier pet cemetery where they bury the cat, and dad doesn't question this decision in the slightest. They arrive home and Judd delivers another astonishingly ominous speech before fucking off home. The phone rings, and of course, it's the daughter, who is, of course, asking about the dead cat, who was, of course, killed by a truck in the murder road. The next day, we see Dad doing things in the garden, and we discover that the cat is back. But the cat is mean now. Judd explains that he doesn't know why he took the cat up to the graveyard, but then explains why he did it. Something else has happened after this, but I wasn't taking notes as I was eating pizza. The family's housekeeper hangs herself, and Stephen King is the priest at her funeral, and then the dad and Ellie talk about deadness whilst Mum hides in the kitchen and cries. She explains why she's afraid of death in a horrifying scene about her sister being ill, which is delivered with all the acting skills of this here coffee cup. <laughs> That's one of the best acted scenes of the whole thing. Not the way that she's delivering it. Uh, without any hint of foreshadowing, we see a truck leave a depot interspersed with an idyllic scene of the family having a picnic, which is not in any way going to end badly. The toddler dies after being run over by a lorry, which he did, which I definitely didn't see coming, and presumably neither did he. 
dog. <laughs> okay. Everyone is sad now, and Mum's dad has a fight with Dad, and everyone gets even sadder. Dad and Judd have a chat about whether to rebury Gage in the pet cemetery, which is obviously not going to happen, because Judd explains a story of what happened the last time, despite earlier saying it never happened earlier in the film. Mum and Ellie go away again, for reasons, but before Ellie does so, she says that she has a bad dream about Dad, Gage, and a man called Pax Cow. Dad then drives up to Gage's grave in the middle of the day and digs him up. <laughs> it's fucking broad daylight. Okay. <laughs> Ellie now has another bad dream where Paxgal is telling her to stop her dad from doing something. Shortly after, Paxgal appears to Mum and explains stuff. Some stuff happens for a bit and Dad removes Gage from his coffin and gives the corpse a little cuddle, which is very strange. Mum is now aware of something weird happening and flies home and has a bad dream and for some reason the scene of her running through the airport is genuinely longer than the scene of her child's funeral. <laughs> Dad takes Gage's body to the other pet cemetery, you know, the bad one, and the ghost of Pascal keeps influencing things to make sure Mum gets home. Dad arrives home, Mum crashes car, Judd is asleep and Gage is back from the dead, obviously. <clears throat> Judd awakens and is now apparently being stalked by Gage and the cat. Judd is ready to stab the toddler at this point, but gets distracted by a zombie cat before getting wrecked by a scalpel-wielding toddler. <laughs> Mum arrives home and is haunted by a vision of her dead sister before the apparition turns back into Gage, who kills her, off-screen. It's now morning. Dad awakens in the most slapstick way possible before learning that his favourite scalpel is missing. He kills the cat, who is apparently acting as a very bad guard dog, and then enters Judd's house. The house is now very old, decrepit, and covered in moss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gabe drastically leaps from the attic to attack Dad, and I swear I'm honestly not fucking joking. He genuinely has a fight with a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, Dad manages to re-kill his son and then burns down Judd's house. In another particularly poorly acted scene, Dad takes Mum's corpse to the burial ground. She quickly returns... And I mean very fucking quickly because he walks in, starts playing solitaire on his own on the kitchen floor, then she follows. So either she's booking it from the cemetery or he was just ignoring her walking like 50 feet ahead. Anyway, she then turns around and kills him off screen. The end. But no, there's more in Pet Cemetery 2. We'll do that in a bit. <laughs> yep. Right. Fuck. Oh man, this was so disappointing. Like I knew it was bad. <laughs> I knew it had a reputation for being bad, but this was so bad. Mm-hmm. Like fuck me. It, it's just so basic. It's just everything about it is just basic. Like they just—he's lifted all the dialogue from the book and just put it in the scenes, and that's it. And he's done nothing. Like, I can't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's good, is it? No, it's really bad. And like, and the performances are fucking diabolical. Oh yeah, the dad in particular is awful. And the worst thing about it, like, he's like really monotone and just like blank stare and black. He just walks like all the actors, but him in particular, they just they walk to their cues, they say the lines, and then they walk off, and that's it. And that's it. They just they're like they're walking, talking props. They're not actually. Doing anything? <laughs> they just—they just feel like placeholders for like ADR or visual effects added actors. Yeah, 
They're just like fuck. And then, but that's the thing. Like, so when the son dies and he he goes all like catatonic almost. He's just like he's completely withdrawn and like can't say. But there's no. I was going to say no, there's no difference. There's no difference. There's no noticeable difference from what he was like in the first half of the movie. So it's just like it has no impact whatsoever. And and again, I'm gonna keep comparing it to the book. But in the book, the sequence in which after the child dies. And they go through the grief of it all, and and how it affects the parents, and the and the funeral, and all that. It's really fucking powerful. It's really well written and mm-hmm. genuinely like upsetting, because the sort of the background of it all is that Stephen King, essentially, this almost happened to him. Like he was basically he was working at a university, I believe, and they rented a house similar yep. to this near to a main road. Yeah, he had a young family. Yeah, and at one point, his I think it was his. Daughter, was it? His daughter, yeah. It was his daughter was running out towards the road, and, almost, and he caught her in time. But she, and then it was like he had then, and there was a pet cemetery nearby. Yeah. So he took all those elements of things that happened in his life, and then created this story out of it. Yeah. So one of the things that I would say about Stephen King is a lot of the, uh, as much as it's quite surprising, given the subject matter, a lot of his books are quite heavily biographical mm. with certain things in there. Yeah. So he will use like real world experiences of things that have happened to him and then put that into his books. Sometimes very literally, yeah. like in the Dark Tower uh, sort of saga, sometimes less so. So his issues with alcoholism is very, very present in stuff like The Shining. Yeah. His problems with writing and the way that his uh, fans would react to him is misery. Misery, and, yeah. Then you know, then there are the shorter stories, which are more of sort of love letters to sort of Maine and mm-hmm. like uh, like Stand by Me and um, like the Green Mile and all these other ones. Mm-hmm. But this one, ten, his in his own words, is he described as being his scariest one yeah. because the theme around it that it was framed from this one incident of his daughter almost being run down by a lorry gave him had such a strong effect on him that he had to write about it yeah as therapy to get it out yeah yeah and, and you that. can see that in the writing of the book what you can't see that in is the writing of the screenplay or the script no it's just, it's just it's super basic and that, that's the thing is that he can't translate he's he's great at doing internal monologue yeah because the book is told from the dad's point of view from lewis's point of view and it goes through all the thought processes of, of the grief of losing a child and then having this supernatural element of it in the background that sort of nags away at you and then he's going, mm-hmm. but I could bring him back. And that's really well done in the book. Yeah. They can't do any of that in the movie because it's all just, it has to be spoken. Yeah. And he can't translate it. So it's just like, it's amazing to me that they were both written by the same person because <laughs> he clearly understands, he knows the characters, he created the characters, yeah. but he can't get them to articulate it or put it on screen in the, in the right way. Yeah, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't put this entirely down to King, this no. being bad. I would put this down to poor direction and appalling acting. Oh, God. Oh, God. Just the, the, I'm sorry, whatever, you, whatever the bloke's name is, but he's just so bad. What's his name? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Dr. Dad. Dale Midkiff. Dale Midkiff. And Denise Crosby. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, they're, they're all so basic and like, yeah, it, all the weight of everything is just not there. It's all just like, and, and the other thing is everything's so quick. Mm-hmm. Everything happens so fast. Yeah. Like you said, like the, the funeral scene is like 30 seconds. Yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous. Like It's shocking. It's, and that that's like, 
one of the things that I know, I know it's the most generic thing that people can ever say. It's like, oh, that's why I like the book better than I do the film. But in most of King's work, it is so much better because he is such a talented writer. Yeah, He's so prolific that everything's different in the books. But then you get something like this and you're like, no one fucking cared about this. No. Or, or well, maybe they did because you were saying about you were saying about the studio. Oh yeah, basically, like, like, from, from what I read about it, apparently it, there was a longer cut and there were more elements in there that were more, you know, from the book. So in the book, there is an element of the supernatural thing. There is this Indian burial ground, yeah, and there is a creature or a demon, if you like, called the Wendigo, yeah, which is like this. Yeah, it's like like an old um, folklore thing from well, the, they, they, from Native yeah, America. So Wendigo is like a, an old Native American sort of myth. Yeah, it's like a boogeyman type thing. Yeah, so, yeah. and it's if, if a man goes mad, then they can go become because a Wendigo. It, yeah, or they use it as a... I think what they talked about before was that they used it as a way of justifying themselves. So there was a point when they had to become cannibalistic in order yeah. to survive. And they would say, oh, the Wendigo touched us, and that's what yeah. makes a man. Anyway, that was in the original script. Yeah, That whole sort of element of the mythology but they cut all that and they ended because they wanted it to be shorter they thought it was too long the original movie how long was this hour and 40 hour and 40 doesn't feel like it it feels like a 45 minute episode of TV because everything felt longer everything feels so cheap as well and everything feels like it was shot on even though a lot of it takes place outside it feels like if I went and poked the sky at the back it would fall over because it's made out of plastic it's all just cardboard everything's cardboard Cardboard people in cardboard settings. Yeah, talking like <laughs> yeah, like and that's the, like why is everything shot during the day for one? Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> like the things that these horrific, horrible things happen. Like he goes and digs up his son's grave in broad daylight. Yeah, in the middle of a like town. Like he starts in broad daylight and then finishes at night. Yeah, but you'd think you'd start when it gets dark, like he does in the book. And then it's like four o'clock in the morning by the time he finishes and then he goes up to the burial ground and... Oh, dear. And, and Judd Crandall is a great character and they don't... They do him a disservice. And mm. He's just an exposition machine. Yeah. And he's just like... He's very basic and like he doesn't... They try at one point, they have the whole... He feels guilty about the whole thing. Which is quickly, immediately dismissed. But he's just... And he's trying to act, but he's acting against a plank of wood. Yeah. He's like, I killed your son! And like, this guy's just sat there, just like zoned out like a fucking zombie. It's like, well, I'm sorry, Urban Monster, you're trying. I can see you're trying, but you're getting nothing. Yeah, you're just getting nothing. <laughs> and just like it's so like like stagey and crap. Like the bit where he knocks over the um, beer bowls. Oh God! So there's a bit where um, when he's first being told about the the myth of it, and like he explains how the cat came back because of. This, that, and the other. Yeah, and then and then there's a point where Lewis asks him, "Has anyone ever buried a person up there?" And he like starts and like, and then knocks over these um, beer bowls. Yeah, and it's like, no, who who would ever do something like that? And get, but it's the most unnatural thing that you've ever like. He's clearly just like the stage direction was, and then just move your arm to the left. It's completely random movement and knock over the beer bowls that are clearly there. It's like so deliberate. And it's not something that's a bit like it was meant to be an accident. It's meant to be a natural thing that happens. Yeah. He's startled by it, and it, or he's 
shaken by the even the question. And he and in his sort of fright, he knocks over some beer bottles. But they make it so that and that like one little bit is indicative of the whole movie for me. That's yeah. exactly the kind of thing that they just fuck up. <laughs> so that's one of the things that sort of stands out for me as well is when when you you can look at films and sometimes you can see um, like and I know it's one of my favorite films, but I'm looking at Captain America and Iron Man. In the Avengers, there's yeah. a scene when they're all in that room. To, when the, the first time that they're all in the room together, yeah, and they're all starting to go at one another, and Tony Stark puts his arm on Captain America's shoulder, and then Captain America bats it away. And the thing is, they've obviously done that scene so many times that that move has just become robotic. Yeah, so it just looks so overly rehearsed that it looks like it's being heavily acted. Yeah. So I don't know what, whether that same thing that it's either happened. Either, you know, Herman Munster has done this scene so many times that it no longer looks in any way natural, or he just just couldn't be fucked and just went. No, but it's to do with the staging of it as well. It's like yeah. the the because that's the, the that's bottles I mean. are up front to his right, and they're at a point of the table that he has no business going there. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> If they were like close to him, and that would make more sense. It's about the way it's staged. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if they were like on his left or close to Lewis, or he was reaching over for something, and then he said it. Like there are so many different ways you could stage that to make it look real. Yeah. And so even if, and also I'm not being funny, right? That's kind of what acting is: is to make it look. But even though you've rehearsed it a million times, it's got to look like you're doing it for the first time. Yeah. That's the fucking point. So if he can't do that, or the director has set it up in such a way that it, there's no way for him to make it look like it's natural, then it's a failure on on every level. Isn't yeah. it? It's just like... Yeah. yeah. And that's what I mean, is that, like, I don't know whether this is it's done because it's too much or too little. The bottom line is, it looks fucking stupid. Yeah. And like you say, it just sort of, you know, circle, <laughs> just, like, encapsulates everything in the film of... Yeah, that'll do. It's better, and it's like, and again, it's another thing about it is that is a very, it's a point, it's a specific thing that happens in the book. And he like he knocks over some glasses and one of them shatters, and that is something that is like word for word faithful to the book. And this, I feel, this movie is an example of how sometimes being faithful to the source material isn't the best thing. No, and that's and that's. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you there because they're faith they're very very faithful. There's like there's there's dialogue and there's even there's exact moments that are lifted directly from the book. Obviously, because it's Stephen King and he wrote the screenplay. Yeah. Um, and from what we can tell from about the new one, they are deviating quite a lot from the source material. Yeah, I mean that that you can see from the trailer. From the trailer, like the, the thing we both sort of commented on the trailer is the trailer kind of shows you the whole movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they are say what, whatever it ends up being, they are definitely going away from the source material, and I can only imagine that it's going to be better than this. Because yeah. God, God damn, <laughs> fucking hell! I mean, this is yeah. I mean, without any sort of shadow of a doubt, this is not a good film. No, uh, apparently it's developed some sort of mad cult following. Yeah, or it's just really popular. But yeah, I think I think in it's, my yeah. opinion, it's a very bad film. It's a cult following, but like there were times when I was watching it, and I was feeling like this feels like Tommy Wiseau directed it. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? This beautiful girl, Lisa, I love you. Like, that is the that, that he could have done any one of them. <laughs> oh, hi, oh. Mark. 
Oh, hi, Gage. Uh, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I did not. I did not bury, bury the cat. Gage. I did not bury the cat in the in the Mi'kmaq burial ground. It's bullshit. I did not. Oh, hi, Reggie. But oh, fuck. I mean, but what we would say is is because the, the reason we're doing this is because the new Pet Cemetery is out next week. Yeah. And we're watching these films, so you don't have to. I would raise the point that the previous, around the same sort of time, I think it was 1986, 1987. No, it wasn't. It was 1990. Was it the TV miniseries? Right, yeah, yeah. Which is like six hours. Yeah. Uh, two parts, six hours. And was based off of the film. Uh, what they've done with the modern reinterpretation of it from 2017 yeah was they just made them into two films yeah now it is one of my favourite books yeah there is a scene in there which if any of you have read it or heard about it is very uncomfortable and I will skip every time I read it but aside from that it's genuinely one of my favourite books Mm -hmm. but what I love about the film is it takes this what like 800 pages worth of story and condenses it into about two hours mm. by bringing in really good writing bringing in a great cast meaningful direction a screenplay writer who knows what they're doing mm. like and I, and that's not me saying Stephen King doesn't know what he's doing he's one of my favourite authors but when it comes to screenplays he has a bit of trouble mm. but if we can get 2019 Pet Cemetery to be as good or almost as good as it chapter one from 2017, mm. then we're in for a great ride. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, it's funny that we happen to be doing this now because the other thing that sort of struck me about it, um, or was worth comparing, is us from last week. So, in us, is in a kind of similar way, it's a horror movie that happens to a family. Yeah. And the difference is, and we both talked about this last week on us, is that the first 45 minutes of us. They set up the characters, yeah, and you understand who they all are, what, the, and they have conversations between the wife and the husband that sets you up, like yeah. what's going on in each of their heads, what she's worried about, and all the rest of it. They don't do any of that in this pet cemetery. They, are, I have no idea. Like, like you, in your rundown, you called him dad of family and mum of family, yeah, because we have no idea who they are. No, we don't know, you know, what like what's the circumstances of them moving there. Are they happy about it? Are they sad about it? Yeah. Is everything okay? Like, do they get on? What's the deal? The kids don't really get any development. The kid, and it's all just everyone's just a placeholder. Everyone's just a really shallow character, mm-hmm. and that therefore means that when stuff does go wrong, you don't really give a shit. No one like, fucking cares. Can you, can you imagine, like, yeah, in us, if like we'd known all that family and known like the little boy, and then he runs out and gets hit by a truck. Yeah, and then we would have seen the Peter Nyong'o, Winston Duke's characters dealing with that. Like, imagine we would have felt for them, wouldn't we? Yeah. Whereas we can't with this because they're just fucking cardboard cutouts of people. And <laughs> but even like like you were saying, imagine if from us one of the tethered kills uh, the son. Yeah. Imagine how traumatizing that would be. Yeah. That would be because you've yeah, like you say, you've gotten to know everybody. It would be a horribly traumatic event. When you see something happen in this, you're like, obviously, yeah, obviously that's going to happen. Yeah, and just and like, like and yeah, 
they've shown that in Pet Cemetery 2019. But <laughs> you're so you're expecting these things to happen. But if you build up a connection enough with to make them relatable, because the ch- and this is no well, it is discredit because she was a shit actress. The child, yeah, she's bad. Is just a wailing fiend yeah. at any point of this film. All she does is scream and shout, and then Gage is just bimbling around in the background, and he says cute things, which is like, I will say oh, that that's cute. I will say that I think it would it is difficult to build a character of a toddler like that. So because because of the fact they are a toddler, so they can't. Yeah. Them. So I can understand why. And in the, again, he manages this in the book. But what you but that's all in relation to his his relationship with his parents. Yeah. So I can see why certain changes were made in yeah. the new one. Yeah. But we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. And these things have been done in other ways, in, in other films. Um, because what they do show is, like, they'll show the child learning something or doing something new. It won't be that child is doing something to lead them into the next scene. Yeah. So it's like when you sort of see something about a child, they'll be like, oh, they drew a cute picture, which Ellie did. They yeah. did this, which Ellie did. They did this, which Ellie did. Yeah. The child swore and everyone's like, oh, that yeah. kid. Yeah. Ellie did all of that. Yeah. Gage was just there. Yeah. Saying things and bimbling around in the background. Yeah. And then, yeah, what happened happened. Like, honestly, like when I go back and so I... Read Pet Cemetery originally, probably in my teens. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed it. And then I didn't go back to it. I watched the film in that time, which I didn't enjoy. And then I redid the audiobook last year. Yeah. Which, I, again, I loved. And it's, I think you listened to the same one. It's narrated by Michael C. Hall. Yeah. It's the, the guy from Dexter. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it's really well done. It's really, really well made. It's really well done. And as you go through, you build up this sort of... You spend a lot of time with the characters. Whereas in this, it's just constantly rushed. Yeah, everything's rushed. Um, and like, and there's like... Because there are meant to be bits of development. Like the whole thing with... Because basically the film and the the point of the pets, the story of Pet Cemetery is about people coming to terms with mortality, essentially. Yeah. And a lot of that is told through Ellie. Mm-hmm. And told about how her she develops as a as a child into her understanding of life and death. Yeah. So it starts off with her being worried about the cat dying, and then she has an experience where she goes to a funeral and she asks questions, and and then it and then it all and then it goes to what happens when her brother dies, and each instance like she's more prepared for it by the time her brother comes, but it's still you know very sad and yeah. Anyway, they cut all of that's gone. Yeah, like none of that's there. It's just like they have they pay lip service to it. Like she has, they have their con- those conversations, but there's no like change in the char- like perceivable change in the character. No, it's just like n- n- like you say. You're you're one of the things that you have about films is that when characters have an arc, oh. not a single person in this has an arc. No, it's just a series of events being played in front of you. Yeah, nothing changes. Nothing gets resolved. Yeah. And then you just go, okay, yeah, there's no, like the conflict is for for a grown man to fight a toddler, which is hilarious. Like when he flies out, he literally flies, he comes down from the attic and he's literally yeah. like flying. Yeah. <laughs> but also, he can't help but, but be fucking stupid. It looks like Chucky 
and and it's like it's just it's so because it's like a, a little person with a mask on, yeah, to look like Gage, yeah, and just and they can't like what's scary about it. I know we keep going back to the book, but we should we should because yeah, this is unique in terms of the films that we cover on this podcast in that there is source material that we both have read and there's what is worth discussing. But in the book, there's this whole thing about the people who come back from the dead have this like knowledge about all the darkest things that everyone has done or or people related to the people that they're attacking have done. And it's like this, this supernatural, like, like the devil or something who knows how to get under your skin. They brought something back. They brought something back and now they have this and they've cut all of that. Yeah. Like they should have, like that whole scene that they hit the flashback scene with the, what's his name? Timmy? Billy? Who's the fucking kid who, from World War Two, they bring back? Oh, yeah, Timmy, I think. Yeah. That whole scene that they play out, like, verbatim in the book, where they confront him and he goes around all the men and tells them what's going on in their life and, like, fucks everything up for them, basically, is completely omitted from the book, from the film. Yeah. And so is the stuff with Gage. And it just means that, yeah, he's nothing other than just a scary kid with a scalpel. Yeah. Exactly. That's it. He's nothing. Like, yeah. and he could have been so much more effective and so much more terrifying. Like, in, yeah, he's like this fucking evil incarnate thing. Yeah, that that he is. But instead, it's no. It's just it's a little person in a mask to look yeah. like a child with a scalpel who is somehow able to overpower grown men and women. <laughs> yeah, because the scene where Gage kills Judd. Yeah. Oh, by the way, everyone, spoilers. Yeah, who cares? Um, <laughs> oh yeah, Gage, Gage comes back, obviously. But yeah, so he he slices uh, Judd's Achilles tendon, which causes him to fall to his knees, and then he attacks him. But this this fully grown adult male isn't able to push away a toddler. No, and just be like, "Fuck off! <laughs> what are you doing? Jesus, fuck! What did you cut me for? Like." I mean, obviously, this is going to be really painful. Yeah. But when you're in pain, you could still fight off a toddler. Yeah. I'd back myself. I'm going to fight a toddler now. Don't. Don't do that. (laughs) All right. Um, I'm back. I just like... And yeah, he's not... uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think what we're trying to get at is this film is very bad. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't watch this Not even once. No. And yeah. And like... Seek out the if you're gonna do anything before the new movie comes out, maybe read the book. Yeah. Maybe read the book. Even that I wouldn't say necessarily because I feel like the the new film coming out is not gonna be as much of a faithful adaptation of it. It's yeah. gonna be a a twist on it. Yeah. I think yeah, I think it will have its own sort of spin and interpretation of the Pet Cemetery story. But um at the same time I would always advocate reading the books. Yeah. Because you get so much more out of a book. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, but, um, yeah, it's... And that's not... Well, I mean, that's not always the case. I mean, there's there's things like The Shining where the film stands on its own. Yeah. And you can just... Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. it's not The Shining. It's Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This was directed by Mary Lambert? Yeah. Who? Who also did Pet Cemetery 2. <sighs> It was almost directed by John uh, George A. Romero. Yeah. Can you imagine? Almost. Either he dodged a bullet or we were we missed got, out. We something. got screwed. Yeah, I thought, well, both, I think. 
<sighs> anyway, yeah, so moving on. <laughs> so, this, so Pet Cemetery actually made quite a lot of money in you know, in relative terms to nineteen eighty nine. It made yeah. like fifty odd million, which was pretty good for the time. What was it described as? As it was it opened, defying the critics. It defied the critics to open blockbuster numbers. Yeah. I think is how Los Angeles Times wrote. Um, and then since then, it's done. It did very well on home release as well. So it was around the time when everything would be coming out on VHS mm-hmm. fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, and it was like the you know blockbuster video and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it, and it was number one best selling video for ages. So because it did well financially, they decided to make a sequel. That had nothing to do with Stephen King, um, but it was Pet Cemetery Two. <laughs> okay, so listen up, dear readers. Under great protest by Dom last night, and I'll, and under my own protest whilst I was watching it, we watched Pet Cemetery Two. Like fuck, we just Which... watched the first one, and I was like broken because I was such a come down from having finished the book. And then you went, "Oh no, let's watch Pet Cemetery 2. I didn't even say let's watch Pet Cemetery. I just put the fucking thing on. Dick, fuck you. <laughs> anyway, this film has a better cast than the first. In what sense? Uh, more well known. Yeah, it's got Goose and John Connor in it, and the kid from Big. That's Tom Hanks' best friend. Right. So it's better than... No, I don't, no, no, no. Just because they're more well-known does not mean they're better. Listen. Because John, Con- John Connor does a screen cry in this. Goose. In fact, I won't say that because that's going to be a spoiler for my rundown. What, emo John Connor? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking fallout boy John Connor. Jeez, right. <laughs> so judgmental. Oh, fuck. They made Pet Cemetery 2. They did. Pet Cemetery 2 starts as an episode of Tales from the Crypt Keeper, which it turns out isn't actually real, but is a film within a film. Edward Furlong, a.k.a. John Connor, is also in this film. He and a lady, who is his mum, do some talking, and surprisingly, given this film was released in the same year as Terminator 2, he can no longer act. His mum dies in a Rube Goldberg accident, and the funeral is officiated by the most gargantuan unit of a priest. Do you reckon they asked Stephen King back to do his cameo? Did they? Fuck. <laughs> uh, John Connor is sad, and he and his dad, Goose, no, not Kyle Reese, move into a new house where a housekeeper turns up immediately and starts digging through John's dead mother's clothes. John Connor's dad is a vet and uh, has a new veterinary practice. Upon arrival, a husky kid turns up with a beaut of a dog, and his dad, the police chief, is a dickhead. John has his first day of school and for some reason takes his cat. The cat is stolen by a bully and is apparently killed in the pet cemetery. It's not dead, but what a way to introduce the pet cemetery. Police chief appears to have a white rabbish fetish. The husky kid's mum appears to be younger than her son. And the police chief commits the worst possible sin. He shoots a dog. The next day, husky kid and John Connor go to the pet cemetery to bury poor sweet Zowie. There's a very short scene about something and Zowie is back. Zowie is taken in by Dad Vet and John Connor and starts haunting John Connor's dreams. It's now Halloween night and the bully picks on John Connor, attacking him with a dummy dressed like John Connor's mum. No, not Sarah Connor. The bully then tells the story of Pet Cemetery 1, but the police chief arrives and he attacks Husky Boy, but is suddenly killed by Zowie. 
The kids then take the chief to the other pet cemetery, you know, the resurrected one. And guess what? The chief is back and almost immediately violently sexually assaults Husky Boy's mum, which feels wildly out of place and very, very, very unsettling. Husky Boy notes that the chief has been a bit weird since he's been back because he gave him extra pancakes. No, not that whole other thing that he was going to do. And so begins a few scenes of the chief being weird. Vet Dad now has a subplot about the dog being back from the dead, which doesn't really go anywhere, but it culminates in him having a sexy dream in which he has sex with his dead wife, but she turns out to be a werewolf, but isn't a werewolf, is a were-husky, because then she turns then into Zowie, the dog that he was just having sex with. Uh, and I think it was just a scene so that we could see some breasts. Uh, the next day, Husky Boy and John Connor ride their bikes, and the bully knocks John off his. Uh, shortly after this, the police chief arrives and <laughs> fairly viciously kills the bully and starts to chase Husky Boy. In a continuation of what the fuck am I actually watching, there's now a car chase. The car- <laughs> Husky Boy gets in the car with his mum, but they're killed trying to escape the chief after they drive head on into a potato truck, which then falls on top of them and kills them both. <laughs> oh yeah, and then the chief takes the dead bully to the pet cemetery. In not the weirdest scene in this film, John Connor, wearing a badass suit, is preparing the return of his mother before we find out her grave has been tampered with. Oh no! There's now another weird scene where apparently John buried his mum in the buried his mum wrong, and the housekeeper, who continues to be a character in this film for unfathomable reasons, starts going through the mum's stuff again. Vet Dad is now attacked by Zowie, and I really can't describe how dumb this film is at this point, but I will now summarise. Vet Dad kills Police Chief. Housekeeper is wearing Dead Mum's clothes. Dead Mum kills Housekeeper. John Connor is happy to see Dead Mum. Vet Dad gets home and confronts Dead Mum. Dead Bully arrives. John Connor and Dead Bully have a punch-up. Dead Mum is making a mess in the background and sets fire to the attic. John Connor electrocutes the Dead Bully's head off. He just electrocutes him and his head explodes. Yep. Uh, and then he axes his way out of the attic, taking Vet Dad and leaving Mum to turn into a cackling ashen skeleton. Vet Dad and John Connor leave town. And there's nice little oval shapes of all the people who died. Oh, yeah, that was nice. And how you, you never forget them. You never, yeah. get, you never get over it. You know, like the end of a, like when a TV series ends. Yeah. And you're like, oh, remember it's that. It's a photo cast list. Yeah, you remember? That was nice. Anyway, that was Pet Cemetery 2. Fucking hell, man. This was just bollocks. It's <laughs> fucking absolute... shit, isn't it? I don't... It was just... It was just like a generic sort of slasher sort of shit. Early 90s, like, rock fucking... I don't know, like, because it was... It felt like... So I used to watch Tales of the Crypt Keeper when I was... Um, like, Tales from the Crypt and Tales of the Crypt Keeper. Two different things. Can't remember which one was which. One was animated, one was live action. But I used to watch them both when I was a kid. Yeah. And it felt like one of those. Yeah. But it felt like it went on for about a week. Yeah, man. Fuck. It was so dumb and just like, I don't, I don't even know where to start. Right, <laughs> one, right. one thing I will say about this film is there's no protagonist in this film. What are you talking about? It's John Garner. No, it's not. Of course it is. Because what you end up doing is you end up following the dad story more than you do John Connor's story. Because he just drops off like halfway through. What, Connor? Presumably to do the press run for Terminator 2. 
So he starts appearing in significantly less scenes. The large proportion of the middle is following Husky Kid. Yeah. And then the last act... Then he is dies. Like, yeah, <laughs> then he dies. And then the last bit is the predominance is, is following Vet Dad after he has his sexy dream with Warehusky wife. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Yeah, it's just fucked. So you're like, oh, who am I supposed to... F- oh, no, no, no one. No one. No one fucking cared. No. No just... one fucking gave a shit about this entire thing. No, it was just... It was a cash grab. And it was just a fucking... Yeah. Because like... <laughs> like, the, the rumour is that originally Pet Cemetery 2 was going to be cashing in because of how popular the first was. Yeah. But what they wanted to do was have a female protagonist. Yeah. Which is great. But then what they did is they went, hey, how about that kid from Terminator 2? Oh, yeah, she's a girl, right? No, it's a guy called John. Oh, uh, well, yeah, let's put her in it. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so fucking dumb. Just everything about it. It's just like stupid, like cliches, like the bully at school. Like, why? Yeah. He just decides to hate him for no reason. Like, yeah, <laughs> cause he's, because, you know, the bully wears a scarf and has one earring with a crucifix on it. So he's a bad guy. Yeah, obviously. but why? I don't... <laughs> Um, and they 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 shoehorn like loads of like really crap references to the original. Like there's lo- oh, yeah. there's loads of like everything they walk past has got the word Creed written on it, and then and then they talk about the story, and then at one point like say so the, it sort of switches gears and starts following the dad, and then he goes and meets the old vet. He goes, oh yeah, I remember the old Creed cat came in here. Hey, it was called Church, and you're all meant to go, oh my god, it's like in the first one. It's like no one cares. Like, stop it. It's like, it doesn't matter. Doesn't but yeah, the sense. previous vet is a taxidermist who is nothing more than a cackling reminder that there was a cat in the first one that died. Yeah, that's literally it. There was the, There's no point to that scene other than to, for that. It's like padding it. I like this. It's weird because like in comparison to the first one, in the first one, it feels like they cut a load of shit out. Yeah. In this one, it feels like they've had to pad it out to make it feature length in order to yeah. actually put it in the cinema. Scene with the rabbits. Means nothing. There's the scene at dinner where Clancy Brown just draws mashed potato everywhere. Yeah, and all, and like the wor- I think the worst thing is like yeah his his character because in the first in one we get a little bit of Gage coming back and it's only towards you know the end of the movie. Whereas this he's like the zombie version of himself for the majority of the runtime. Yeah, and it's not what it's meant to be. <laughs> like he's just a bit weird and a bit stabby. Yeah, and rapey apparently. Yeah. Which was very fucking uncomfortable and weird. It's awful. Like, I don't right. understand what the the sort of there was a lot of like sex like injected into it in weird places. Yeah. Like they 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 get this like Wear husky boobs. Yeah, the wear husky boobs. Like, we've got to get some boobs in here somewhere. Where can we where can we come think? Where can we get some boobs? And they just like try and shoehorn in some boobs. And like so they can put it on like ten o'clock at night on fucking film four or something. Do you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I thought it would be fun. I like bad films, but this was just not even fun. No, it was just bollocks. It was just like it was all over the place. I just, but again, badly acted. I don't know if it was worse than the first. No, it can't be because even fucking Goose is better in this than yeah. Dad from yeah. one. Edward Norton screen cries. Edward Norton. Ed- Edward Furlong. Furlong. Edward Furlong does screen crying. I never saw that. I can't remember. Yeah, he does just, it a lot. He goes all creepy at the end where he's wearing yeah. a suit. And he just, he's super creepy, to be fair. Yeah. Like, he's like the proto-emo 
for um, uh, Peter Parker in Spider-Man 3. Yeah. He's got a poorly fitted suit and oh, he's just got to get his fringe over his eyes. Yeah, just the jet black fringe. <laughs> it's just the worst. And just like everyone just turns into these weird like cackling zombie monsters. Mm. And it's like, no, 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 that's not the point. That's not what no. it was meant to be. Like you've completely missed the point of what this is. Yeah. And it's clear that Stephen King had no involvement no. in this at all. Because all they've done is someone's gone, oh, what was that first film about? Oh, you bury him in the pet cemetery and they come back evil. Okay, that's not what it is. That's not it at all. No. They don't re- They don't come back. They know things, but it's not them that's come back. It's not, yeah, they're not meant to be the same person. No. Like, that's the thing. He, come, like, he comes back and just carries on his life for, for a few days. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's, like, he can still drive. Presumably, he's still a cop. Yeah, he's <laughs> pro- I'm presuming he's doing paperwork. <laughs> I better have a shower. It's like, no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> he wraps a bandage around his neck. He goes to have a shower. He eats. He passes food on. He's like, oh, thanks. Here you go. Right, here's mine. Now move on. Weird. This is weird. There's the whole thing about the rabbits, which doesn't make any sense. No. And I... For some reason, the rabbit's cage is electrified. Well, I, th- I thought that might be to stop the dog from getting at him. <sighs> Fuck knows. The dog is, like, all freaky. They do the whole thing with the eyes and make them into, like, these... Oh, yeah, we didn't zombies. even mention that. No. So they, they've done... That's something that's consistent across both of them. Yeah. They do this weird glowy eyes Shine thing. a light off the retina. Yeah, exactly. Um, to make him look scary. Um... But in this one, they really overdo it, like because it's not just that; it's like the way they make up the dog, I guess. And yeah. So he looks like like that's things like they walk around and go. If, if you saw that dog, you go clearly that dog's dead. Yeah, it's covered in blood. It's got like a gaping wound on the side of it where the guy fucking shot him. And yeah. then, but then there's a vet in this one. <laughs> yeah. So they get into the physiology of it. The, f- physiology. Physiology. Thank you. Um, where he he sends a blood sample to a fellow vet to try and figure out what's wrong with the dog. Yeah, and the guy goes, "It's dead." <laughs> that's what's wrong like, with it. Oh, that's a that's a real good one you pulled on me, Doctor Vet. Oh, uh, nice nice one. As he's slicing into a dog's fucking skull and has the fucking phone in the crook of his neck. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's fucked. <laughs> and he's like, "The dog is dead." No, it's not. It was in here before. No, the dog is dead. You're going crazy like that previous vet at this address and this is his name. You should go and find him because he was the vet before and he once sent me a sample of a dead cat blood and he thought it was alive and then he goes to see the taxidermist vet and that's the end of that part of the storyline. Like, no, like, that's what I love as well. It's like, there's so much, there's scope here for, like, things to be done. Like, if you were a vet and you'd stumbled upon it, like, it, like he should investigate more. You should go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What do you mean he brings him back from the dead? This is like a medical marvel. We've got to fucking talk about this. Yeah. I've got to write about this in a journal or something. I've got to do it. Do you know what I mean? I need to investigate and really get into how the fuck this works. Because as a vet, if there's something that can bring things back from the dead, even just as a vet, like even before you get to onto the fact that his wife recently died. Yeah. Like before, before even just from a, from a fucking professional point of view, you, you, you should investigate this further. Yeah. But he doesn't, really. I mean, he, he goes and speaks to the old vet, and then he just goes, okay, and just gets on with it. Yeah, and just, uh, he don't fucking care after that. There's, there's so much to talk about in this film, but at the same time, I don't want to give it any more time. No, he doesn't deserve it. 
don't deserve it. I can't yeah. believe it. it's it's another one of those like there's a trope in films where there are lots of shit sequels, basically, yeah. to horror movies. Yeah. In particular, like how many hundreds of Nightmare on Elm Streets are there and, you know, mm-hmm. Jason X and all, all those sort of movies where they just churn out hundreds of sequels because they're cheap to make and they make money. And this yeah. is exactly that. That's exactly what this is. It's going to sit on that pile with, you know, Children of the Corn 37. And yeah. I would say, though, you should watch Jason X. Oh, no, J- Jason X was a bad example. Jason X is great. <laughs> yeah. I actually fucking love Jason X. <laughs> Somebody dies by falling on a giant screw. Yep. Jason X is... what? But what if Jason was in space? In space! Which means it's worth watching anyway. So that was a bad example. I thought. Yep. <laughs> but, but yeah, there are like unending sequels to things. Some Sometimes you'll get something like... Uh, like Saw, which loses its way in the middle and then sort of finds its way back. I've never watched a single Saw movie. Have you not? Uh, or no, I think I've seen the first one. Yeah. That's the f- it. The first one I love. Yeah. The second one's really good as well. I don't remember any of the others, yeah. but apparently like the one of the last ones like literally goes back pretty much to the start. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it is one of those sort of, but it, this has accelerated it because they are then do tend to be like a downward slope. Yeah. Of like you get like Leprechaun, which was like a scary film with an yeah. evil leprechaun, and then you get like Leprechaun Seven, and then Nightmare on Elm Street, and like you say Friday the Thirteenth, and they yeah. all sort of sometimes there's a good one in there, Jason X. But this is like this has accelerated that decline from something that was already pretty poor. Into something that was just shockingly bad. I think that's it. I think that's the reason why it died so quickly is because it was like the foundation that it was built on, i.e. the first Pet Cemetery was crap to begin with. It just yeah. happened to make money because it was like some sort of yeah, so cult hit. I'm like, presuming that this had a bigger... This is the thing that I'm interested in now is I want to know like the, the, the production budget and stuff because surely, you know, fucking... Um, John Connor, Goose, Clancy Brown are more expensive than well, I don't know, him, did her, they, and Watson. Did they him. hire him after it had come out? Terminator 2. I don't know. Um, because if it was before it came out, then he's just a kid actor, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but he was he was a working actor before that. But... Yeah, I know, but he wasn't like he wasn't a star. He wasn't a... I'm going to make it a star. Yeah, he kid. wasn't a, like, put him on the fucking poster and it will sell tickets sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I would say the uh, cat in the first one is cuter than the one in the second. So fluffy. Oh yeah, there's a load of cats in this uh, one. Eleven there? million budget of fifty-seven million box office. What's for, that? The first for one. the first one. Yeah. Um. Oh, they won't even tell you the budget. <laughs> Just says that the box office was seventeen million dollars. Production, yeah, it has to be. Yeah, Christ, just yeah. Oh, here you go. Yeah, <coughs> Paramount was anxious to follow up on the success of Pet Cemetery with a sequel, and invited Mary Lambert to return and direct. She has stated that her original concept of the film would have involved Ellie Creed as the central character, the only survivor from the first film. However, Paramount was not confident in making the film's lead a teenage girl, so the story was rewritten completely with new protagonist with new characters and a male protagonist 13 year old furlong was f- cast in the lead role capitalizing of the f- 
his rise to fame in the previous year's blockbuster, Terminator 2. My goodness. Because that's part... Yeah, I wanted... Stephen King, who wrote the novel and the first film that it was based on, had his name removed from the film prior to its release. The film debuted at number three, and on home video, it was released in 1993 and 2001 on DVD. Good God. Somebody wrote... uh, not nearly as scary as the 1989 original and nonetheless expresses an attempt to resolve in bold mythological terms the anxieties of being 13. Gee, all right, Kevin Thomas of the LA Times. You what? In what sense? Okay, all right, I don't want to... Oh, yeah. Variety wrote, Pet Cemetery 2 is about 50% better than its predecessor, which is to say that it's not very good at all. <laughs> okay. Oh my god! I just don't. I don't understand it. It was like, and they just do things for like sort of horror movie shock value, like the the death of the bully, um, where he just like rips his face off with a fucking uh, bike, motorcycle. motorcycle fucking wheel, and it's all just it's very graphic. And then he comes back as a. Why is he bringing him back? Just because he wants a henchman? I don't I know. Guess? I don't know. It's like but it's like, so fucking weird. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand anything of what happened in this. It's, it's, I don't, it's, it's so bad. <laughs> it's just so bad. And it's annoying because like, I would want to see like, you, not that for, was the first thing that you said when you walked in the door last night. Yeah. I want to see what happens next in terms of Ellie Creed in particular, uh-huh. because you like for, from the book, I mean, from having finished the book, it's like, there are certain things left dangling about what happens next and I want to know like I'm all because it's like we because we live in a world of sequels prequels, remakes, reboots yeah. I always want to see stories continue when I'm in when I'm invested and interested in the world and the characters I want to see what happens next so yeah I want to see what happens immediately after the end of Pet Cemetery, and what happens to Ellie Creed after this happens to her parents yeah. and what and all the rest of it and they could have done that and instead they just fucking went no <laughs> make it about a pet yeah. Uh, make it about the vet's son. Make it about John Connor. Make it about John Connor because he was in the movie last year. Yeah. <sighs> Fuck's sake. They could have... D- okay. They could have done so much. I mean, and one could- of the things that I would say is that it's not entirely off the board because The Shining, for example, got a sequel 30-something years later with Doctor Sleep. Yeah, but that's different. That's that's Stephen King writing a sequel. Yeah, so Stephen King could do a Pet Cemetery too. Yeah, he could. Which is about, about Ellie, Ellie going back. Yeah, yeah. Or something. Because. Because again, that she, the character of Ellie sort of feeds into a wider Stephen King thing about children and the children having the shine. Well, so, and, and, and that plays massively into Doctor Sleep. Absolutely, yeah. So the shot the for anyone who's never read a, or doesn't know anything about Stephen King he has this whole thing about children there being a certain number of children who are psychic and have what he calls mm. the shine where they're able to communicate telepathically and sense things before they happen and all the rest of it thus the shining yeah is called that and is it Danny the name of the kid in that one yeah yeah Danny has the shine and he's able to call out for help and all the rest of it. Yeah, so the shine is uh, like this thing that exists within the whole Kingiverse anyway. Mm. All of his books are pretty much interlinked. Um, 
and it's and like adults have it too but it's it's one of those senses that because you don't when you're a child you're not aware of all of your senses fully and they you sort of learn them and it's one of those things that because you don't work on it you forget how to use it yeah so some adults are more in touch with it yeah um like the caretaker like the, from the yeah, shining like yeah. the caretaker scatman Carothers. um yeah. and then Willie. Uh, no, Willie's got the shinning. That's the shinning, yeah. Otherwise um, he gets sued. But yeah, and then in Doctor Sleep, Danny is back as an adult mm. and he still has the, the, the ability to use the shine. And it's called different things in different books. Yeah. But it is, yeah, it's this whole existence around it and surely they can explore Ellie's yeah, and touch. Because that's the idea. That's another thing they fucked up. We didn't talk about it on the first one, but we may as well. That's something they, they never got into in the first one was the reason that Rachel turns around and goes back is because Ellie has this like prophetic dream yeah. about Pascal and like and how she told him not to you know to go up there and all the rest of it and she knows all these details that she couldn't possibly know yeah and that was enough that was why Rachel turned around in the fucking movie they have Pascal as this ghost like with her all the time like <laughs> like smiling and sort of and sort giving of giving her a wink giving her a, though at one point he influences the fucking the um. Flight attendant. The flight attendant. Okay, what about... No, it was the rental car woman, wasn't it? Rental car, yeah. the flight attendant, the lorry driver. Yeah, he like influences them to make sure she gets home all right. It's like... That's so less interesting than the kid, it being around the child. Yeah. Like, that's so, like, basic. Yeah. And that's the, one, that's the biggest change that Stephen King made in his own adaptation, and it's shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally fucked. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. So I think we should wrap up now because I don't want to talk about this film anymore. No, I don't want neither of them deserve it. No. Um, I want to see the new one. I want to talk about the new one. Yeah. And then we can go from there. You know, like the trailer for the new one already looks a million times better. Yeah. Um and the actors like Jason Clark I think is a really really good actor and he's really under- underrated. Mm-hmm. Um so John Lithgow is John Lithgow great is in everything that he does. Perfect for Judd Grandall. When I was reading yeah. the book all I could think of was John Lithgow as Judge Randall. I can't think of anyone else. Like, just had a thought. What? John Lithgow mm. in The Crown. In The Crown? Yeah, plays Winston Churchill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The cat in Pet Cemetery Ooh. is called Winston Churchill. Ooh. Coincidence? Mmm. Mm. Well, Ion, wait. In Pet Cemetery 2. There's the first John Connor. Yes. In, in the new Pet Cemetery. It's, it's the, the last John, John Connor. Connor. Oh last. my God. What? There's been so many John Connors. No. There's been so many John Connors. Like every fucking movie they recast John Connor yeah. and do something different with John Connor. Yeah. Like was there a John Connor in Terminator 1? Did mm, they see it? Yeah. Yeah, there must have been. All right, so technically Edward Furlong isn't the first John Connor there. He's the second John Connor. Um, and then, wait, I don't know. Wait. No, he might be in Terminator Two. The first time you see him, yeah, because you don't you don't get any flashes to the future in one. I swear in the first you do. One. I swear he tells the story and you see, and it, but it's, it's like Kyle Reese saying it. Yeah, but he tells that story and you see some of it. I can't remember. I'm now. sure you do. Because there's the scene with the hunter killer, and you see, and they're talking about John Connor being the savior, and he's like got this badass scar over his face and a big laser gun, and mm. but I always thought that was from Two. I don't know, I feel like there is a part of it, because I remember there being like the noticeable step up from one to two in terms of the future scenes looks so much better. Yeah. Which means that they must have been in one. 
you know what we could do? Let's just go watch Terminator. <laughs> right, we're going to go watch Terminator. Right, we're going to go and watch Terminator. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, you can find us on all the socials, uh, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. It's The Omcast. Uh, pod at gmail.com mm-hmm. feel free to email us not about this because it's shit and stupid and we hate it and if you like it we hate you and um, yeah we'll be back next week with another episode I can't remember what's on the schedule even though I looked at it just a minute ago what are you talking about what was Pet cemetery next week you fucking idiot <laughs> we literally just talked about it that's a very good point I can't remember what's on the schedule the new Pet cemetery is next week alright smarty pants you can remember things. Um, yeah, so we got pets. Oh, I've got a brain. I can remember stuff. I remember so, what I'm doing next week. I remember why I watched these two films because that new film's coming out next week. God. Honestly. You done? Fuck you. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're doing Pet Cemetery next week and we've got a bit of a run going on now over the next few weeks of movies coming out in the cinema. Yes. Um, so we're going to be going and reviewing things and you know getting them out as soon as we can. Um, to sort of give you our recommendation about whether you yep. should see them or not. Um, obviously, there's Pet Cemetery, then there's Shazam, yep. um, and then there's Hellboy. Yes. Um, all of which are out in the next sort of two weeks. Um, so we'll be talking about them um, and let you know whether it's actually worth spending your money on. Yeah, we might even... Well, we haven't spoken about that yet, but potentially doing a Grand Rewatch episode on the Hellboys. But... So yeah, I would like to do that, but I don't know if we've got time. Yeah, I don't think we have. Mm. Unless we watch them independently. And, well, unless we... I think maybe our our episode on the new Hellboy should include talking about the previous ones. Or we should watch them in preparation for it. Yeah. So that we know we've got something to compare it to. That'd be good. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. That's an off-air discussion. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. Right. See you later, guys. Bye, readers. Bye. Bye, readers. So we now live in a world full of sequels, pre-wakes, there, pre-makes. Pre- pre-wakes? It's a pre-make. They made it before you, you, they made you it. You said pre-wake. Um, so we Is now... that ominous to this film? Who knows? Nothing's... Oh, fuck. <laughs> this... Oh, fuck's sake, man. I did... <laughs> Such a come down. Anyway, we'll talk about it in a minute. Um...